You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. You've never thought of it in this way, but when it comes to theological and mythological traditions, the nighttime was here first. Today, we spend 24 minutes with Reverend Dr. Daniel C. Cantor of the First Unitarian Church of Dallas. We will reflect on how there is no light without darkness. The night needs not to be perceived as a time for fear and how we can reclaim our spirit at night. Let's discuss the luminous darkness during 24 minutes with Reverend Dr. Daniel C. Cantor. Unitarianism goes back to the 1500s. It was really the reform of the reformers. And it was a group of people coming out of humanist uh, universities in Italy and Poland who were saying when they read the the Bible, they don't actually see the the Trinity. They see that God is one, that Jesus prayed our Father, which means Jesus was more man than God. And so they were called Unitarians versus Trinitarians. It came through Europe. It came to America as Unitarianism, the the focus on our being essentially good, not sinners, uh, God being one and mysterious and Jesus being man and our salvation being what we do with our lives. It came through the transcendentalists. People like uh, Emerson and Thoreau were all families of Unitarians in the 1800s, and it extended uh, into America through the 1700s. It arrived in Dallas in 1899. The church here was a church for people who uh, the, the the original sermon said are making shipwrecks of their spiritual lives who don't believe in the old dogmas uh, and are, are seeking a way to be both religious and spiritual without uh, ascribing to uh, the old dogmas of the Trinitarian traditions that they were growing up in. So it's a church of, of questioners and a church of people who uh, want to make a difference in the world that don't care too much about what happens after life, but really what happens in life. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a place, uh, it's kind of open mind, open hearted church that uh, tries to seek meaning in um, all kinds of texts and and experiences where human experience is important. So okay, well, that's really, that, in a nutshell, that's that's good. Are. That's good. That's probably an entire semester of uh, of uh, teaching, <laughs> I think. So on Christmas Eve. Uh, yeah. 2022, as many ministers do, yeah. you presided over a candlelight service. As an element of that service, there was a poem that you had written that was read, and uh, it led into your reflection, your homily, your sermon. And the poem was titled The Luminous Darkness, and your message reinforced that idea. Can you share a little bit about what the essences of that poem and your message were and what the gift was you were trying to or did pass to your listeners. Yeah. yeah. So for us, the, the whole Christmas story is not literal truth that happened 2000 years ago. It is mythology that is trying to teach us something, you know, essentially trying to teach us to reset the human heart to compassion, to making peace, to living lives of love, you know, which is really core to our faith traditions. For many years, I have written uh, a, a character in the Christmas story's perspective on what was happening. I've written about uh, from the child's perspective. I've written from each parent's perspective. I've written from the the star perspective. I've And so this year I was, this past year I was thinking, 
what's the perspective we haven't hear, heard from yet? Mm. Uh, and one of those turned out to be the darkness, the the, the background that holds the story. Uh, and I took the, the 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 title, the luminous darkness, from Howard Thurman, who was Martin Luther King's minister in Boston when he was at Boston University, uh, who really described his own nocturnal encounters and the ground of hope in the struggle against segregation as the luminous darkness. And for me, the Christmas story is also trying to help us uh, understand that there is always struggle against the forces of, of the world. Uh, and forces that don't want us to to bring peace and love. And it is characterized in this story as a moment that happens at midnight. So my story was the background or the darkness's story saying to us, hey, we're not background. (laughs) We're actually presence here holding this whole thing together because there is no light without darkness. Hmm. That that's kind of the essential uh, uh, how I came to it from from a kind of mythological point of view. It was quite engaging and uh, hearing it, listening to it. I thought this is this needs to be brought into the conversation of what we're all about. when We're talking about the nighttime economy, because um, uh, I just think we need to pause a bit and uh, consider this later this year. I would like to host a webinar, a webinar, an hour-long program with uh, uh, Christian, Islam, Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish faiths to explore the role of the night and ceremonies of the night when it comes to religion. I, I, I think that's another profound topic point for folks that are advocates of the night to look at. What do you think we would discover if I got these faith leaders together and wove this thread about the night through many religions, what would be revealed? I think the common theme is this this notion of light and dark and what they do in mythology and theology and, and religious text and liturgy and ritual. You know, we we have Christmas. It happens at night. We do candlelight at night for a reason, because you can't see the light of hope without seeing the the darkness that surrounds it. And the problem there is that oftentimes we we characterize the dark as bad and the light is good, which is actually not a biblical uh, understanding of this. In Genesis, God says the light is good, but not it's not good because it is better than dark. Mm. God says the light was good because it's the first of the creations. God separates the light from the dark. The the dark pre-exists the light, and that sets in motion all of creation. Now, I'm not a person who believes that that literally happened, except from a scientific point of view, from a Big Bang kind of theory. But the origins of this in our mythologies and our theologies will point to this kind of notion that there is darkness and there is light, and they are like a yin and yang. They are like a companions in creation theology. And I think in many, many traditions, we will see not only this theme, but we will also see that many liturgies would happen 
at midnight in the dark uh, because it's a it's a changing point. It's a or it's the darkest moment uh, where light can be exposed. So, like the evening ceremonies that yeah. launch faith traditions or faith ceremonies of sorts, that yeah. these are common. Are these common in even the Asian religions? I believe so. Uh, the yeah, I mean there are. Uh, ancestor worship in various Buddhist traditions that happen, sure. like the lighting of lanterns at at night, and you know seder's or, or Shabbat dinners happen as the sun is is going down. The day is ending. What I think the rest of the the Bible, especially the Book of Job and the Psalms, really point to that the night is is not just this um, terror filled thing where evil happens. It is actually a place, especially biblically and Judeo-Christian perspectives, where God gives songs, where God instructs or warns, gives counsel, where there's a, a visitations of, of the holy, where there's this uh, moment of contemplation that happens that's hard to do in the daylight because in the daylight, it's where we when we work and when we run around and try to do all the things that we have to do. But the night is a place, if we embrace it as a place of rest, a place of meditation, a place of prayer, a place of isolation, a place of a kind of contemplation, not something to be feared, which is, I think, you know, how most uh, horror films <laughs> would sure. Oh, right, right. Most yeah, of the yeah. bad stuff in horror films happens right. at night. The guy with the bone saw doesn't often come at you in the daylight. <laughs> right. The, there are mysteries of the night too. That and and mysteries are not always explained in faith traditions. Mm. And uh, what is the role of mystery? Do you think? I think it's an invitation, really, to uh, explore your spirit, to to see what if if you're uh, a theist, you would say what God has to say to you mm. um, in in the absence of the noise of the day. Um, you know, I was just in India, and uh, we have a project in Northeast India, and everybody who's been to India knows it's a noisy place. You know, there, there's a language of of horn beeping and driving that, it, that we don't even understand because there's no really hardly any rules on the road. But what happened was I was in this hotel in this small town, mountain town, and it's noisy until about two in the morning. <laughs> and at two in the morning, the cars go away and it's the darkest time. And in fact, Biblically, this is also like a transition point to like there, there the three watches, one of them happens at, from two to sunrise mm. and everything gets quiet. Mm -hmm. And it was almost the only time between two and the sunrise where one could rest with one's thoughts. <laughs> and, and it made me think a little bit about what, what you're asking me, which is what does the dark night invite Mm -hmm. And I think it often invites this this place of calm. It's like the illumination of the stars that breaks through the darkness exposes a, an opportunity to be in, enveloped in something mm -hmm. mysterious. Um, because 
You can't see the horizon, <laughs> you know, in the dark. You can't just go willy-nilly through the, the desert. <laughs> you know, you, you, you can hurt yourself at night, too. So I think the night has a function in, in theology and in religion and in mythology and in ritual that it, it limits our movement, but it also quiets the, the space um, and allows for that sort of mystery to unfold that is ultimately, in my mind, in you. <laughs> you know, the, our, our life's perspective, my life, my perspective on life is that life is a mystery that, that you are called to unfold. If you're just busy all the time, it's going to be hard to do that. <laughs> so. Right. The, 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 your indie experience of the car noise ending at two, so you could finally get some peace. Sounds like the last time I stayed at a hotel in downtown Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> so in that contemplative time, when it's with us and some great literature has come out, some great art has come out of this uh, commune with that nighttime space and the skies and nature and quiet. So is this also part of that mystery, this creative part of our economy and a part of our lives? Sure. I think it's sort of like the Sabbath. You know, it's a it's a time in which we're not involved in commerce. And, you know, you can't call me at three in the morning because I'm either asleep or I'm doing something in prayer or something, you know, like it's a it's and I'm, I'm I will tell you truly I am a morning person I am I like the the dark right before the dawn uh, right. not so much the late night but it's the same kind of idea we're not involved in a commercial endeavors we're not busied by the the appointments and the the, the way in which the the daytime uh, ask to make demands on us. So I think, yeah, creativity opens up when we stop. You know, we have a spiritual practice in our church that is just as simple as pause, discern, and reflect. It's it's a, a very unique, unitarian, but very simple thing. It's just that you have to stop on occasion, like fully stop in your life to be able to encounter what whatever is inside of you. Um, and I think that is true because uh, what's inside of you is also outside of you. And, and it, there's an interaction. There's not there's not a lot of division there. You know, I was walking in my neighborhood here in Dallas recently and I'm, and one of my neighbors put new lights on it. And I live on a very dark street with lots of trees. And, and one of our neighbors put these very bright lights and her lights reflecting on three houses away. I mean, it's a, it's like a spaceship, you know? Right. Oh and yeah. I just, no, I hate that, but yeah. okay. <laughs> and aesthetically it's one thing, but I think it's symbolic often of our trying to fill up the spaces, mm -hmm. uh, whether they be spaces in time, uh, places or sort of uh, emotional spaces right? with noise. Uh, whether right. it's light pollution or music or hyperactivity. And what 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 I think is what we're talking about in some ways is the darkness and the mythologies that we experience ask us to slow down mm. um, and to ponder what and really observe what we're what, what's in front of us. Um, you know, as commercial endeavors are constantly in motion trying to sell you something. Right. What if commercial endeavors figured out ways in which they were 
partially not in motion, not trying to sell you something. And and I think we're seeing some of this, you know, sort of uh, pseudo spiritual uh, infusions into businesses. I, I preached this sermon that related to the pause discern and reflect notion recently. And I got a whole bunch of members of the church who are in the business world sending me things that were saying, we're seeing this everywhere. Pause, pause, ah. pause. I think because we are realizing that our lives are too busied by by everything. By the noise. The yeah. noise. And and it doesn't serve us to either be good consumers or good providers of consumer goods or providers of space or municipal um, experience without stopping and, and really having a pause. Um, I had this moment like this once with a, a, a an organization. We were, we were a bunch of clergy talking to uh, agents from ICE about immigration issues, and they were all just sitting up on this stage. There were speakers, one after the other, one, one, and, and I'm watching them the the ICE agents were sitting on stage, just writing, 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 you know, like, and I just stood up and I said, I just want you to put your pen down and stop for a second and look at me and understand that I am a person here, you know, like, and it went into this thing where, where I was like, you can't just keep charging ahead. No one in the world can keep charging ahead without renewing their spirit, which is what sleep is in our brain, but also what pausing is in our lives. It's walking in the dark. I love to, you know, to go to the to the nighttime idea. I love to take walks in the dark. My wife always wants to take a flashlight. I don't I don't need a flashlight. I just use the feeling of my feet and the moon or the stars because it's more reflective space when I'm not looking down a beam of light. And it's, I think, similar in in all of these endeavors of pe- the people listening to your podcast, that they are rushing, rushing, following the beam of light in front of them because it is comfortable and it is noisy. And and what we need as a human uh, species is more pausing, more slowing down, more um, stopping, more staring up at the the stars in the dark. <laughs> um, okay, no, I love know? that. So that's I'm, my that's my response. <laughs> that's all right. so it's perfect. Now to figure out how that can weave into a civic message is a whole nother story. I'm speaking with Reverend Dr. Daniel C. Cantor. He's the senior minister at the First Unitarian Church of Dallas. You can learn more about the First Unitarian Church by going to dallasuu.org. That's you as in the letter U, uh, DallasUU.org. They also have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts uh, at First U Church, and First is the number one S-T-U Church. Uh, you can find out more about the church and uh, Dr. Cantor and what's going on. My final word of you uh, before we close up here. You mentioned you grew up near New York City. I know you've been in Boston. I know you've been in Oakland. You've been in Dallas. You've been several places of all the places you've been in the world and you like to walk around at night, what's your favorite city to, in the world to get out into and walk around in? And why do you like it so? That's a great, great question. Um, I've been in many, many places around the world. You know, one of them was Barcelona, uh, mm. which probably fall pretty high on many lists. Um, mostly because you're forced to be out at night because everything you know, opens at 10 p.m. 
but because the the sense of the creative spirit really lives there and there are there are parts of that city that aren't extremely busy um but i also like to walk around dallas you know i mean i live in east dallas so i live near white rock lake and there's a kind of calm that that happens when the sun goes down there uh and so i like those places but i like lots of places too pause discern reflect well that's exactly what we are going to do right now this has been Season 2, Episode 3 of 24 Minutes from 24-Hour Nation. Visit us at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. <laughs>